0: Thanks very much, Bimbo. Um, I should have introduced myself when I popped up first time. My name is Matt. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City. It's my privilege this morning to help us try and learn to gather um, from the Bible, which is what we do week by week. Now, like I mentioned earlier in the gathering, we're on a, a journey as a church to figure out how it is we're going to respond to the growth that God has given us as a family growth, which is making our current home increasingly feel a bit of a squeeze. And if you don't feel squeezed in here, I can tell you that the children out there do feel squeezed along the way. And um, one thing I've been looking at as we keep working through this is thinking about how we could deliver the sort of spaces we need inside a whole array of different buildings that we've dared to consider as kind of potential options, places that typically weren't built for the sort of things we're wanting to do with it. Now, I- I've tried a bunch of times to sketch out how this might work, but I'm no architect. So if you've been on the kind of receiving end of one of my sketches, uh, I am sorry. It really doesn't make um, much sense to anyone apart from me what I'm trying to say. But thankfully, there are people who do know how to do this. There are people who know how to draw these architectural diagrams, these blueprints, who can imagine and create ideas in their space. Then they can capture and communicate those ideas to others through drawings, through Plans through blueprints. Keep the idea of a blueprint in your head this morning as we come to look at the Bible together. The idea that we can we can capture the outline of something that doesn't even exist yet, and then we can communicate that to other people. Communicate something which could be. Now we're working our way through Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew's biography of Jesus. And the, the next three chapters of this are one of five extended sets of teaching in Matthew's gospel. Three whole chapters um, together. I've been thinking a lot about how we should approach this first section of teaching. Normally, we like to work through things little bit by little bit. We like to take our time to think and to wrestle with what God is saying to us through one, so- one short story of Jesus' actions or one short teaching. That Jesus gives us, or one command that he presents to us. But sometimes when you're doing that, you can miss the forest for the trees. You can miss connections. You can miss the broader sweep of where he's going. You can, you can lose the, 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 the bigger feel. So it's important sometimes to zoom out, to get a sense for the lay of the land, the general territory, the contours of things, and then then we're ready to dive into the details. And that is what we're going to do this morning. So a little unusual for us. Do you want to just back it down a bit and I'll speak louder instead and then we'll dodge the feedback a bit so you can just make me quieter and I'll I'll, I'll project like that. (laughs) There. I was thinking about, should we just read the whole thing together this morning? But it's just over 2,500 words, so it's about 15 minutes. That won't quite fit. Our kids' teachers will be glad to know. Um, But it is absolutely worth doing that in one go. Hearing Jesus' teaching as a connected whole Perhaps some of you saw the post in our Facebook group. Instead of reading the whole thing this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to top and tail it. So come with me first to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read how Jesus begins. And then I'm going to really summarize the main content, and then we'll read how Jesus closes. So Matthew chapter 5, and that in our Blue Bibles is page 968, and David is going to read for us this morning. Matthew chapter 5, look for the big five. Page 968.
1: I read from verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. If but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. And trampled on the feet. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That they may see your good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them.
0: Now, don't head off, David, um, because this... uh This introduction, right, Jesus is telling his disciples they're going to be salt and light in a dark world, that there's this fulfillment for the ancient law of Moses coming, that everything that God said through his prophets is going to be fulfilled. That's followed by two chapters of Jesus teaching his disciples how to live. And it's some of the most famous and memorable and well-known teaching that Jesus makes anywhere. Uh, He says, says, be peacemakers, be, be pure. Be merciful, love like God. Give, pray, and fast for God's applause, not for people. Serve God for heavenly treasures. Trust him for earthly provisions. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Because that's the sum, the total teaching of the law and the prophets. He says that is the narrow road that leads to life. There's so much famous teaching in here. But he closes with a famous parable Wrapping up this chunk of teaching. So flip the page to chapter 7. And David, if you come on back, we're just going to hear the very end of his teaching as well. This is how he closes it out. Chapter 7 and verse 24.
1: From verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the the streams rose, and the winds blew
0: That is where Jesus finishes. Now, don't worry if that felt like, whoa, we just flew over 50,000 feet, uh, an enormous space of land. I didn't really capture anything of that because we are going to work through this bit by bit, section by section. But first, I just wanted us to consider it as a whole. What have we got? What is Jesus giving us here? What's he trying to say? What is he trying to do? Why Why does he present us with this teaching? Now, I've read through this a bunch of times. I'm looking for the bigger sweep. I think it's like Jesus is unrolling for us a blueprint. Uh, It's a blueprint for this new kingdom that he is bringing to birth. A blueprint for this kingdom of transformed hearts, this kingdom of heaven. So what do you do with that? My first instinct as I read through this is to think about how it applies to me. To think about how I measure up, how, let's be honest, poorly I measure up to all these things, how little I'm putting this into practice. Now, generally, it's a great instinct when you read the Bible to think about how it applies to you first, but I want to just turn that around as we begin this morning and think instead, what would happen if we apply this to everyone else? What would it be like to live in a kingdom built according to this blueprint, What would it be like to live in a kingdom where people behaved this way, where people took this teaching of Jesus and put it into practice? See, I think the blueprint Jesus lays out for us here is somewhere we would all love to live. Whether you'd call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, I think he's describing a world that all of us would love to live in. Imagine, imagine a world with no conflict. Imagine a world with no hatred. Imagine a world filled instead with determined peacemakers, where every time you poked somebody else in the eye, their only inclination was to try and fix it, to try and make peace with you. Think back through your week for just a moment. Where did you run into conflict this week, personally, in the, in the playground? Uh, in the office, on, on social media? How can you avoid conflict on social media? Well, imagine a world with none of that. Can you even imagine a world where you're not surrounded by people who've been turning, being offended into an art form? Where you're not terrified of how people might respond if you told them what you really thought? Where you don't worry moment by moment. Where is the next verbal attack going to come from? Then, then step outside your own experience and think about the conflict you've seen in the world around. Right? We've seen this week bitter attacks between candidates for our new first minister. We've seen employees and employers at loggerheads, dead set against each other. The angry tone of almost any debate anywhere about anything. The bitter divides in so many communities over class, over religion, over race, the the armed conflicts across our world. Now imagine a world with none of that it's all absolutely gone. Can you even imagine that? It's hard to imagine. That's the world, that's the kingdom that Jesus's blueprint is describing, one without conflict, without hatred. Well, then imagine a world without any corruption, without any evil, a world where you're surrounded by pure people. You don't have to question others' motives or wonder what they're going to do with things. Where when somebody says, I'm a customer service representative, their goal is to serve customers. Imagine that. (laughs) Where you don't have to worry about whether the authorities are going to do justice, whether those in need are going to get the support, whether the words you say are going to be twisted and used against you, whether those in power will use their power for the common good. Just imagine where you could trust people around you where you could walk home from anywhere at any time and not be afraid, where everyone would help you if you were in need. That, that's the sort of world that Jesus' blueprint is describing, right? Imagine a world with no selfishness, no greed, where people are instead surrounding us with generosity, with love, with care, a world where nobody is forgotten, nobody's abandoned or overlooked. Imagine a world where people aren't just performing for the crowd, Chasing that applause, but living for God, pursuing Him, His ways. Imagine a world where your life, your work, the things you do are actually going to be meaningful forever. Not just be washed away by the sands of time. Imagine a world where you are utterly confident in your security forever. Your needs will be met throughout your life. A world where you're not judged all the time by others, but instead, everyone around you wants to help you be the best you. This is the world. That's the kingdom that Jesus' blueprint describes. Do you want to live there? Yeah, I want to live there. This is a good world he's describing. A community like that with people like that. That's the blueprint. That's the design. That's the plan. And that is something worth pursuing. That's something that should get us excited. This is Jesus' blueprint for the kingdom of transformed hearts And the big question I want us to think about today, as we get ready to journey through this for the next while, why does Jesus show us this? What is it that he's trying to do? What's his objective in teaching us about this better way that the whole world could be? Why does he lay out this blueprint, particularly to his disciples Did you notice that at the very start of our reading? Matthew 5, 1. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So his teaching is directed first of all at his disciples. The crowds are there, but he's first of all teaching his disciples. Why does he lay it out to them? What does it mean for us here today? How are we going to approach the whole thing? Four big positions we're going to take a tour through to consider. Four options that we're going to look at one at a time. First option, okay. This is simply a utopian dream from a totally deluded visionary. It's fun to imagine a world without these things, but it's utterly pointless because it's completely impossible. Like suggesting, let's power the whole earth. It'll be super easy. We'll just put some big solar panels in the middle of the desert. Done. Ta-da! da Nice idea, interesting thought experiment, but alas, totally unrealistic. Or suggesting, why don't us humans just share everything instead of selfishly hoarding? Let's say the community owns everything, and everyone gets what they need. We would all have plenty of land, plenty of goods, plenty of food. No one would be in need. Proper communism, that works just fine, doesn't it? Or, who's seen the video, Coincidence? Now, maybe you've not seen this video, but the idea is if you just dance, a particular dance together, that would fix everything. That would be the, in fact, the video is so good. We're just gonna have to do this. They dance. If you dance like that. What a great idea, just a dance. That's all we have to do, no more violence. Is that, is that all we're getting from Jesus here, right? Just, just like here's a totally ridiculous dream, a fanciful dream from an impractical optimist, something that could never, ever possibly happen. Obviously, Christians don't think that's what Jesus was up to here, but that is absolutely how a lot of people would see this. Turn the other cheek, that is a stupid idea. A world without greed, that is flat out impossible, But Jesus isn't just a deluded visionary. So what are the other options? Well, some people think Jesus isn't just dreaming about an impossible world here. Some people think Jesus is telling us about a world that we could really choose. Tolstoy, famous author in his book Resurrection, he has this character. Most people accept his autobiographical representing him. And the character speaks about the Sermon on the Mount like this. It's not beautiful abstract thoughts presenting for the most part exaggerated and impossible demands but these are simple, clear, practical commandments which if obeyed and this was quite feasible would establish a completely new order of human society. Then what Jesus got for us here, just a set of instructions which we actually could realize something that could happen if we would listen and change. Here's the problem I got with that idea, and the problem I have to tell you the Bible has with it too, us, human nature. Yeah, it'd be nice if we could all just get along, but do you actually live on planet Earth? Our world is just not like that. People are just not like that. And the truth is, it isn't just a a few bad apples who are the problem, it is all of us. Does anyone seriously believe if we took out just a few problem people, we could fix this whole thing? If we could just lock up a few nasty pieces of work, suddenly things would click into place. A better world would just go, bop, into being. The rest of the global population, were just sunshine and daisies. If we could just get rid of the... How many people do you think we'd have to take out or lock up before we could live this good life with no hate, no selfishness? Total purity, just war-to-war goodness. What is it? Is it like 1% of the population that are the baddies and the rest of us?
1: I'm pretty good.
0: 10%? 50%? What, what, What do you think? Look, I know my own heart. I'm part of the problem here, not part of the solution. The Bible teaches us that every single one of us is broken, that our hearts are corrupt. That's why this world is in the mess it is. You think you are the exception to that rule? Everyone else a bit messed up. That's why the world's a mess. But me? I'm perfect. I think in your honest moments, you must know that's not true. So if it isn't Jesus just setting out a set of rules for a better world that we could actually have, we'd actually choose if we just listen, then what is it? Well, our third option, another way of seeing this, Seeing what Jesus is doing here feeds off of this fact that we can't simply choose a world like this. Is Jesus setting out an impossible standard here? Is that the main point of all this teaching? Is like, here's a set of things which you cannot do. Is Jesus saying, you think you just need to tick some boxes, behave some particular ways? Think you just have to not be like the worst kid on the block, but you can be average or so-so? Well, think again. This is God's design. You thought you had to jump that high? You've got to jump this high, higher than anyone ever, higher than you could possibly ever jump. Here's the standard God demands, absolute purity, total devotion, utter love. You have to jump higher than anyone ever. Now, why would Jesus set out an impossible standard? Why would he do something like that to his disciples? Here's one suggestion I read about that. In short, Jesus' word exceeds our capacity. This is the point. But there is good news. The same Jesus who issues the commands also blesses the poor in spirit. Those Those who know they cannot obey. The same Jesus who issues these commands gave his life as a ransom for disciples who cannot obey them. This way of looking at Jesus' whole sermon understands each part, each command, each challenge to be something that we'd respond to like this. Yeah, I agree that would be good. That's how it should be. No, I'm not doing that. In fact, I know I could never achieve that. So I need Jesus. Understood that way, Jesus' big point with the whole thing here, the long list of impossible demands is to have his disciples and by inclusion us recognize how broken we are and just how much we need his grace in every single area of our lives. It's like a, a spotlight showing us how broken we are in place after place after place. A mirror showing how warped. The blueprint's key because it shows just how far out of line we are with God's impossible standards how we'll never measure up until heaven. It's not an uncommon interpretation, but here's the problem. Here's the wrinkle with that. Jesus sounds for all the world like he actually expects us to do this stuff. Not just after hearing each command, shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, I can't do that. I need Jesus. Look how he starts the whole thing. In the same way, let your good deeds shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. People are actually meant to see good deeds. What sort of light will shine from his disciples if they just go, yeah, well, that's impossible, can't do that. If they just wring their hands about how terrible they are, what sort of good deeds come out of that? Or look at what he says about the law. We read Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great. Whoever practices them. Look at how he closes out the whole chat. The last thing we read. Everyone who hears these words of mine, building your house on the rock, famous parable. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, how could Jesus' main point with this whole teaching be, you can't do this? When he starts and finishes by telling us we are meant to, put it into practice. Actually put it into practice. More literally, we are meant to do these things. That's the verb in there. Now, this can't be just a set of impossible commands, meant to send us to Jesus for grace and grace and grace and grace, where we could never, ever measure up. This has to be a blueprint for how Jesus actually expects and wants us, even demands that we, his people, live. How could that possibly work? Earlier, we talked about this truth. We're all warped. We're all broken. Every heart corrupt. How how, how does that add up? Here's how, this is Jesus' blueprint for his kingdom, but this kingdom is a kingdom of transformed hearts. This is God's good plan for how we should actually live as his transformed people. It's Jesus inviting us to be God's future perfected kingdom, breaking into our world here and now. When we started thinking about how wonderful it would be to live in a world where people did these things, where people obeyed these commands, where people actually lived like this. Well, Jesus' plan for those first disciples he was speaking to, and his plan for us, the church, his people, is to begin to be that wonderful world, that coming kingdom. Begin to make real, make a tangible presence for this kingdom in the middle of this broken and twisted world. If you've been with us a few weeks, remember how John the Baptist started speaking about Jesus, his urgent message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Remember what Jesus taught, exactly the same thing. When he began to teach, he announces, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Well, the point of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' disciples are to become that kingdom of heaven, Coming near. This teaching is Jesus' blueprint for a kingdom of transformed hearts. The, the initially impossible demands of Jesus they become increasingly possible through his gradual but fundamental and will complete transformation of our hearts. This kingdom he's announcing doesn't come from the outside in, it begins in the inside, but it becomes real. Increasing real as it works its way out. This kingdom is something to be seen. It's something to be done, it's something to be practiced. Think back to the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. John comes baptizing people with water for repentance, it says, for cleansing, for turning away from the way they were going, turning to a new way. But John tells us, Jesus isn't just coming, baptizing with water. He's coming baptizing with the spirit. He's not just cleansing but transforming. He's making each of us making us together as a community a whole people increasingly like Jesus himself. Now that that's the game changer. That's why this isn't just a utopian dream. It's why this isn't a set of impossible standards. Because this is Jesus' blueprint for his kingdom of transformed hearts. So stick with us over the next few months as we explore it together. What we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus' plan for the kingdom. We're going to see how beautiful it is in each aspect. As we run into each piece of his teaching, we're going to see how wonderful it would be if that was real. Our hearts are going to long that it would be real. We're going to be challenged that we can't live up to that standard that it's beyond our twisted human nature. Nature. And then we're going to see it's a plan that He is actually bringing about through changing us from the inside out. Now, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, but perhaps you've heard some of these things, perhaps you would like some of these things, why not stick with us as we explore it too? Wouldn't you love a better world? And yet, can't you see how a change in first minister is not going to deliver the better world you long for? A change in education, a change in the United Nations, but something so much more fundamental is required. Let your heart dare to long that these things could actually be real. Come and walk with us as we explore, as we consider, as we challenge one another to begin to make this real I'm going to pray and then we're going to use a song to reflect on these ideas then we'll have some time to talk let me pray when Jesus taught us how to pray uh, I said we should pray that your kingdom would come this is what it means so Lord we pray your kingdom come And we pray that for uh, a world that is hurting and broken, which needs this true and wonderful future so much. But really, we want to pray that for ourselves. Would your kingdom come in us as individuals? Would your kingdom come through us as a church? Would you help us to say yes to your blueprint? for your kingdom, through your transforming of our hearts. Amen.